So our text this morning is from 2 Peter chapter 1. We will read the verses 1 to 11. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ." Thus far, our text. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in James chapter 1, we hear these words. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer... He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So in church, we listen to the word of God. In fact, that's what we are doing right now. And one main goal of the preaching of the gospel is that faith would be worked in our hearts. I'm I'm sure we've heard that many times before. However, as James 1 makes clear, God's word also says a lot about our lives and how we are to live. God does not want us to only hear his word this morning and then have it go out the other ear. God wants us to act on his word, to put it into practice. He wants our lives to be changed. This morning our text is from 2 Peter 1. And God in this passage calls us to add to our faith a number of virtues, as we hope to see. It's a call to be a doer of God's word. But as we hope to see, this call is first of all based on God's work for us in Jesus Christ. So as I preach to you God's word this morning from 2 Peter 1, I'll do so under the following theme and points. Because God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, he calls us to add every virtue to our faith. We will look at, first of all, the things God has given us. That follows verses 1 to 4 of our text. Uh, Second of all, the virtues we add to our faith. That's verses 5 to 7. 
And finally, the results of heeding this call, that's verses 8 to 11. So first of all, the things God has given us. So in our text, God is calling us to add many virtues to our faith. Notice, however, that our text does not jump right away into these virtues. Peter does not begin this letter uh, by saying, uh, right at the outset, add to your faith things like knowledge and self-control. Now, first, he talks about what God has already done for us. And this is the continual pattern in Scripture. First, we learn what God has done for us in Christ. Then we read about how we must respond to our God. And this pattern is sometimes called the indicative and the imperative. And I know it sounds like a bit of an English lesson, but that's important. The indicative comes first. The imperative comes second. The indicative is who we are in Christ. The imperative is what we must now do. The first point of the sermon, the first part of this text, is the indicative. What God has done for us. We find this in the first four verses. Peter writes, To those who have received a faith equal to us. And it's easy to glance over these words, but this already speaks volumes. Faith is something we receive from God. It's a gift from our Heavenly Father. Why do we believe? Because God has graciously granted us a gift of faith. Without his powerful working, we would not believe. And we receive a faith equal to us, as Peter says. Every believer has the same faith. We are equally children of God before our Father. As we hear elsewhere in Scripture, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We, re- we receive this faith by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, this speaks volumes. First, we have an emphatic declaration of the divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Greek text, the sentence is constructed in such a way that a God and Savior here, they're referred to the same person, Jesus Christ. And second, we receive our faith by the righteousness of Christ. His saving power, His perfection, His work on our behalf. And then we hear this blessing in our text. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and and, and, uh, Jesus our Lord. And what a beautiful blessing. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. That is to say, may grace and peace be ever increasing towards you. May it keep building and building through this knowledge of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's only the basic introduction of the letter. And already it's rich. But there's a lot more. The Spirit, through Peter, can give this blessing because, as he says in verse 3, God's power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us everything we need for eternal life. And everything we need to live for him. Our text says that God's power has given us these things through the knowledge of him who called us. 
You see, we, of ourselves, by our nature, we had no hope of overcoming sin and death. Our condition was hopeless. But if we know our God, and we know that these things, our sinful condition, death, they're not a problem for God to overcome. God's divine power to raise the dead makes it possible. Think of what we read in 1 Peter 1. We've been born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, safely kept in heaven for you. And it's God's resurrecting power that is at work in us. Listen to Ephesians 1. Here the Apostle Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened, that we might know what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. These things are true of us. It's important to view yourself through the eyes of faith, and as Scripture says, that the same power that God used to raise Christ is the same power and work in you to give you life, to change you. Act Ephesians 2 says that even though we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. And so we have eternal life even now. We've been raised with Him, and it's a gift. And that same resurrecting power is what we need to live a godly life, as our text says. We've been raised with Christ, and so we can live a new life. How could we live like we are still dead in sin if we are raised with Christ? It's impossible. But we are alive in Him, and so we will live accordingly. And verse 3 continues, saying, His divine power has given us all things for life and godliness through him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And it can also read that we've been called by his own glory and excellence, as you probably have a note in your text. And if the sense is we have been called to his own glory and excellence, the meaning is this, that we've been called to experience and to enjoy God's glory and excellence. And in eternal life, we will certainly enjoy God's glory. His most excellent being. Just think of all the, the glorious things here in this life. Even living in a broken world, there's so many things to enjoy, to experience that all testify to the glory and the greatness of our God. And yet everything we experience now will pale in comparison to the glory that is coming in eternal life. In the presence of God. We've been called to that glory and excellence. Now if the sense here is that we've been called by his own glory and excellence, the meaning is this. That in our conversion, God enlightens our hearts to see his unsurpassing glory and excellence and he unfailingly brings us to faith by them. For God displayed his glory and excellence primarily in giving his son to die for us in our place. 
certainly that speaks of the perfection of God's being. It shows his perfect, indescribable love for sinners. It shows his unfathomable grace to those who have sinned against him. You see, by the cross, by giving us his only son, people who deserve hell and his punishment, by the cross, God has displayed his perfect character, his immense love, his infinite worthiness to be worshipped. And Through the preaching of Christ and him crucified, the Holy Spirit enlightens our eyes to, the, to that glory and excellence of God who saved us. And by his power, he uses it to bring us to faith in Christ. He uses it to bring us to him. Our text says that through these things, he has granted us his great and precious promises, beautiful promises, promises to forgive our sins, promise to free us from, from slavery to sinful desires, to resurrect us from the dead, to give us free access to him in Christ, to give us everlasting joy on the new heavens and the new earth. Wonderful promises. Great and precious promises, as our text says. And they're a gift. And the Apostle Peter ends this section with one last thing. He adds, So that through these promises you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Now what does it mean that we become partakers of the divine nature. Well, it does not mean that we are to become God in any way. We are creatures. We always will be. He is the creator. But think of this. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. True God within us. We are certainly partakers of the divine nature through that. It's by the Spirit, then, that we are also conformed to the image of God. We begin to take on God's excellent virtues in our lives because we are in Him. We are in Christ. We are becoming like Him. Notice how this contrasts with our old lives of sin. We are partakers of the divine nature after having escaped the corruption in the world due to sinful desires. Similar to what we read in 1 Peter 1, we've been ransomed from our futile ways of life that were handed down to us from our forefathers. And so we are not conformed to the desires that we had when we lived in ignorance. No, our nature has been changed. We've been set free from slavery to sin so that we might serve God. Once we were only in Adam, and so we lived just like the rest of the world. But now we are in Christ, and so we will live like him. It brings us to our second point, the virtues we add to our faith. It's also verses 5 to 7 of our text. So verse 5 of our text, it makes a switch just heard how God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And the Holy Spirit, through Peter, now calls us to grow in perfection. 
And he gives us a, a list of virtues to add to our faith. And as he does, each one of us is to examine our own hearts and lives. Not someone else's, but our own. Each person needs to ask himself or or herself, am I adding these virtues to my faith? So let's begin. Verse 5 begins, says, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Or a, a better translation would be supplement your faith with excellence. See, it's the same word used to describe God or Christ in verse 3. The one who has called us to his own glory and excellence. It's the same word here. Add to your faith excellence. In other, in other words, we who believe in Christ, we make it our aim to take upon ourselves the same excellence of God's own character and being. And God's excellence is supreme. He has no flaws. He excels in righteousness, in justice, in compassion. No one can defame God for having a dishonorable character. He's worthy of all praise because of his perfect being. Now, of course, we will will never reach God's excellence ourselves. In this life, we, we remain weak. We remain sinful. This is something we strive for. To put on a character that is noble and admirable and wholesome. Doing this will make us more faithful, dependable, and true. We will grow to become, the Bible describes as, blameless and upright. Someone of excellent character can be trusted. He or she refuses to live a double life, appearing upright around others, but embracing a life of sin in private. Verse 5 goes on, we supplement excellence with knowledge. And we can distinguish two different kinds of knowledge. The first is knowing facts and truths about the Bible. The second is more relational, where you grow in intimate fellowship with somebody. And both senses of knowledge can be in view here. It is indeed important for us to keep growing in knowledge of of the truths of the Christian faith. To study what scripture has to say to, to know it. We will never grow or finish growing in knowledge of who God is and what he has done. The Bible is worth a lifetime of study. It's important for the maturity of the Christian that we seek to grow in knowledge. I'll be sure the Bible does warn against possessing only merely facts, knowing facts about the Bible. Simply knowing lots of facts about the Bible is not virtuous in itself, and knowledge can indeed puff up. However, I appreciate what the late Dr. R.C. Sproul said about this. He said, The word of God can certainly be in the mind without being in the heart. However, it cannot be in the heart without first being in the mind. And that is true. And by growing in the knowledge of the word of God, the goal is to grow in relationship with God. 
So we read God's word, we study it, know what God has done for us. To our knowledge, we supplement self-control. Self-control means ensuring our actions are not controlled by evil emotions, impulses, or desires. It's so easy to let frustration and anger and hatred control your words and your actions. And even when you have good desires, we ensure that they are channeled in a good and a positive way. You know, people in this world, they often think they are, they are free, they have freedom when they can just pursue whatever it is they want. But the reality is that those who do not know Christ, they are slaves of destructive desires. Desires are controlling them. That's not how it is to be with us. Remember, you are partaker of the, of, the, of the divine nature. The Holy Spirit is within you. 2 Timothy 1 says, God has given us a spirit of power and love and self-control. And to self-control, we add steadfastness or perseverance. Steadfastness means that in the face of suffering, we continue on in the Christian faith, serving the Lord. It's a call to put on patience in the midst of difficulty, trust during tribulation, and endurance in the face of opposition. Verse 6 goes on to steadfastness, we add godliness. Godliness means living a, a life worthy of God. It means living every day knowing that in, in every moment of the day, you live before the face of God. All of our actions, our thoughts, our desires are laid bare before the one who sees all things. And godliness means to grow, to become like God in every way. To godliness, we add brotherly affection or brotherly love. And the Greek word here is Philadelphia. That's why the nickname of the city Philadelphia in the United States is the city of brotherly love. Brotherly or sisterly love, what does that look like? Well, it means showing affection and goodwill to your brothers and sisters in Christ in, in this church. It means thinking the best of them in your heart. It means speaking about them with respect and with dignity. It means refusing to slander and gossip about others in the church. And as I say these things <clears throat> about brotherly affection, I'd like to ask you, whom are you thinking about? About other people? Well, they need to hear this message. Or are you thinking about yourself? Yes, this call goes out to us as a body. Well, this call goes out to each of us as individuals. And we are to search our own heart and add brotherly, sisterly affection to our lives. To brotherly affection, we then add love. Love is the greatest virtue. Love thinks of the well-being of others 
for oneself. Love serves others and gives of oneself to others. As 1 Corinthians 13 puts it so famously when it says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And listen also to the urgency that our text gives as well. Make every effort to add these virtues to your faith. We could translate it also as apply all eagerness to add these virtues or be zealous in every way to add these things. Right? This is not the zeal you put into your schoolwork on the last day of school before summer. This is the diligence and effort that you would put into Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Setting your heart and your mind and your will on these virtues. Doing what you can to add them to your faith. That brings us to our last point, the results of heeding this call all is verses 8 to 11 of our text. Now, there are some important results to heeding this call to add these virtues to our faith. Our, lists, or, or, sorry, our text lists one negative effect of not listening to this call, and it also lists a number of positive results of, of indeed heeding this call. So let's start with a negative consequence of not heeding this call. Uh, if we do not add these virtues to our faith, then it reveals something to us, something about our spiritual health that we might not yet realize. Listen to what verse 9 says. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. You know, it's interesting he uses, Spirit uses the image of sight to describe a, a spiritual condition being so nearsighted that he is blind. Well, I'm sure most of us, many of us, have gone to the eye doctor before, before for an eye exam. And during an eye exam, there's all sorts of tests the doctor will do to check your eyesight. Maybe it's reading one of those, you know, those, those famous letter charts where the size of the letters gets progressively smaller as you go down each line. Maybe it's looking through some sort of machine which flashes lights at certain points and you have to indicate when you can see those lights. And, well, and going through that exam tells you how good your eyesight is. And maybe you find out after doing that exam that your eyes are really bad. In fact, that you're legally blind and you didn't realize it. Maybe you need laser eye surgery Maybe you need some cataracts removed. One thing's for sure, something needs to be done. Well, consider the list of virtues found in our text in verses 5 to 7, which we looked at in the second point. Things like godliness and love. You know, listen to these virtues. Go through them one by one. Maybe sometime later today. Consider it like one of those eye charts where you... You go down to each line and see if you can spot these virtues in your own heart, in your own life. 
If you can't, then something is wrong. As our text says, if you don't have them, you are nearsighted, so nearsighted, in fact, that you are blind. Maybe you didn't even realize it. The Spirit says you have forgotten that you were cleansed from your past sins. Maybe you, you have lost sight of what your Savior has done for you. Maybe you can no longer see God's immense grace in forgiving you your debts freely and fully. Maybe you are only focusing on your present circumstances, which are difficult. But whatever the case may be, you are forgetting the big picture of what God has done for you. You need to zoom out and see again God's grace to you in your own life. Right, focus on the things mentioned at the, at the beginning of our text again. God has given you everything you need for life and godliness, eternal life in Christ. Focus on the crucifixion of Christ that has saved you from the eternal torments of hell and has given you eternal life that will fix your vision. So that's the negative side, but there's the positive side as well. Verse 8 gives the first one. If, if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Fruitful. See, if you grow in these things, you will bear much fruit in God's service. Think of a fruit tree, a beautiful fruit tree, maybe a mango tree. I love mangoes. Think of a large mango tree full of juicy, ripe mangoes. Something delightful, something pleasant to others. And that's what you will be like with these things growing in your life. Something pleasant to others, delightful in God's eyes. You will be of great use in God's service for his glory. And then verse 10 then gives all the more reason to add these virtues to our faith. It says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. See, by adding these virtues to our faith, we establish ourselves more and more in the Christian life, in the Christian faith. It's by adding these things that we learn to all the more stand firm in the faith. As these things grow in our lives, we confirm more and more the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. It's further evidence that we are, yes, indeed, we are God's children and God's chosen ones, and we will grow in assurance as well. You know, think of the parable of the sower. The seed was sown on different soils. The seed started growing in two of the soils, only for the plants to wither or to get choked out. But... There was seed that grew in good soil. The plants kept growing and they produced a great crop. Notice that he says if you practice these things, you will never fall. We will be all the more equipped to withstand Satan's attacks. We will stand firm in the faith and we will indeed persevere to the end. Then our text ends... The last result of adding these virtues to our faith, 
For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Think about these words. An entrance into the eternal kingdom of Christ. It's an eternal kingdom full of joy and peace. This is happily ever after, and it's not a fairy tale. Indeed, Christ's kingdom will be full of peace and rest and joy. That's where we are going. It says an entrance into this eternal kingdom will be richly provided for you. Our God is not stingy. He's already given us his only begotten son to be our savior, sacrificing him for our sins on the cross. That is God's generosity towards us. His richness towards us who believe. And so when our text says that this entrance will be richly provided for you, it means richly. And that, beloved, is a great motivation to heed God's call to add these virtues to our faith. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing together hymn 72.